Hello, and welcome to the Common Geeking Program. We are a book club podcast where each week, three of us are going to read up on a topic and then discuss it from our own geeky and nerdy perspectives. This week, I'm your host. My name is Jeff, and we will be discussing the 2009 film Nine, appropriately. Um, 2009. 2009. You think that they like <laughs> they were going to release it in 2010 and they were like, oh, we got to speed this shit up so that it's like appropriate to the year? I mean, they like if I remember correctly, the movie was released in theaters on September 9th, 2009. So like it oh, seemed it really? like they had been planning to do nine, that. 999. Yeah. Damn. Like and then the movie I, yeah, was called Yeah, no, you're nine, totally right. So... <laughs> I, I didn't even pick that up. I've been seeing like September 9th everywhere and yeah. I didn't even think about that, but um, yeah, I'm not gonna and, uh, lie. That is one of the things that initially made me want to see the movie more because I was like, "All right, clearly they they really care about this. <laughs> they planned so. this shit, yeah." yeah. <laughs> um, and so we're gonna be using this movie to uh, kind of talk about stories that have a post-humanity element to them. Um, so I am joined by two people, each of whom has selected a a uh, domain that they think will connect to our topic and theme this week and they are hey it's your boy patty ace uh i'm talking about a video game called eidolon which is available on steam oh that's fun yeah um i'm johnny and i will be talking about the kurt vonnegut novel galapagos Ooh, fancy we got our movies we got a game we got a book look at all yeah, we, of, a, look, we don't often have books you we know? got some representation yeah it's because not a book feed <laughs> some learned <laughs> individuals well i mean previous on this on this podcast i have said that i was illiterate so i mean i've been trying to improve Jonavi, i just think future. that you are objectively the least illiterate out of the our entire group <laughs> i think <laughs> colin didn't even pick up a book till like five years ago or some shit like that. Yeah, but now he reads like a book a month. Yeah, well, just to make up for lost time. I mean, this is a book club podcast, so I just wanted to... That, that is true. We do have the word book okay. in our in- intro. Yeah, so we do have to start... read our thing to uh, to yeah. speak the intro. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm just trying to stay true to the brand, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the brand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> perfect. So uh, we're, we're going to be summarizing our topic and domains and then we're going to be opening openingly openingly openly discussing the the you know freaking topic of the week which is nine and the themes our, our post-human revolution and then finally we're going to close with a competitive radio sec- rating section jesus christ we're off to a great start i just can't say sentences out loud um a competitive rating section to determine which of these fools best contributed and whether or not today's topic was enjoyable oh i just have i'm just a little psa for the listeners i had a chicken quesadilla from chipotle about half an hour ago and i can hear my stomach a lot and i don't know if that's picking up on my recording because my phone is basically sitting on my stomach um so right but the mic is up by your face i think right it's like right here yeah, See but, what I'm saying? No, it's not. Oh, it's not going through this mic. Cause oh, my, that's gotcha. just in the computer. Yeah. So, you know, if you happen to hear lots of gurglies, you know what that's from. And if you don't, then maybe we'll cut this out. Um, but, also, um, if you do happen to hear the gurglies, the yeah. word for noises that your stomach makes is called borborygmus. Interesting. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> is that supposed to be like he was making whatever? How, how do you say it? Borborygmus. 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 B O R B O R Y G M U S. Borborygmus. Okay. Yeah. Was it like he was borborygmusly walking down the street? Is that, <laughs> yeah, a, is that, I mean, a, is it, that a noun or is it a? Yeah, no, borborygmus is, is a noun. But if Aww. you want, you can make it whatever words you want. Cause yo, bro, <laughs> you wanna you wanna hand me some tums? I'm borborygmusing right now. You wanna go get borborygmus later? <laughs> Want to get some food? It's going to make me Borborygmus <laughs> so good. <laughs> All right. Well, here we are summarizing nine in, in however <laughs> fashion we see fit. Okay. Um, so nine, as we stated earlier, hit theaters in September 9th, 2009. Um, it was based on a short film that was made in 2005 by Shane Acker, who is also the uh, director and writer of the film. Uh, did you Did you guys end up watching the uh, the original? Yeah, I watched both. E, Johnny, you too. Uh, yes, I did. Nice. We, we're not. Yeah, I don't know. I had them watch that just because I, I I thought it was fun, but we might not talk about that a whole lot. Um, so. Nine is an apo- a post-apocalyptic animated feature film. Um, it stars Elijah Wood is is the main character who plays Nine. Um, so the the movie starts with this this little ragdoll guy who's about I don't know I'm gonna say like like four or five inches tall, right? Just Pretty small yeah. due to context clues and the things that they use. Uh, he wakes up in a room. Um, and there's an old dead guy in there, and uh, he can't speak, and he's looking around. He's like a, did I say ragdoll? They're like little ragdoll yeah. robot guys with little um, apertures for eyes. Pretty neat. And he's got the number nine written on his back. And uh, so there are, as one might expect, nine of these guys. But we're introduced to the film with, with just him. And um, he walks around. And he eventually finds another one of them, too, um, kind of wandering out in the wasteland. It's a pretty, pretty beat up place. Uh, like the buildings are all falling apart. There's like bombshells everywhere, some dead bodies. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so when he meets two, who kind of, he's a little bit older because he was made first, but also just like his personality, like he, he's voiced by an old man. Um, Two kind of explains to him what's up in the world a little bit before uh, before shit hits the fan. Um, gosh, I feel like I'm just all over the place. But uh, so two kind of you know does some stuff. What what happens? In I mean, the he gives of, him his I voice fucking box. just watched. It. Yeah. Okay. So we so nine can't speak. First of all. <laughs> Oh, and he's he's got this talisman that he picks up from from the room that he was in with these three symbols on it. And um, so two is kind of, te- you know, telling him about the world and how, you know, you should just leave some stuff alone, but otherwise you can find things. And he uh, he picks up a voice box from from like a doll or something, which means that there was a doll out there lying in the world that sounds like Elijah Wood. And I like that. That's kind of funny. Uh <laughs> And so he he gives him his voice box and um he's about to he he notices that he's got this talisman and he's like oh this shit's important my friend is always drawing these symbols and before he can explain more this uh this giant kind of feline robot creature shows up he's got like the he's beast. got like the skull of yeah the beast is what they call it 
Um, he's got the skull of like a tiger or something. I'm not sure. Some, yeah, some cat. Some cat. Yeah, he kind of. It's worth mentioning that all of these uh, figures, like um, like two and nine, they're all like somewhat small. Like they're supposed to be smaller than humans. Yeah. Um, as like yeah, you, they're like five, four or five inches yeah. tall. Yeah, they're they're like um, they literally are like little rag dolls, like made of burlap. They're very cute. Um, but the so it's it, it's literally just like a cat being vicious, like a cat skeleton. <laughs> it's yeah, pretty, guess, pretty alarming. I guess it could be the size. I guess it could actually just be a cat skull. I'm not sure. I, I think that. it is. Like, it's from got the pretty size. big fangs, though. Yeah, it does look. I don't know. It's really hard to tell. Like, yeah, obviously, with the way that it is animated, a lot of the camera angles are low, so it could artificially like inflate the. The size of the the cat. Well, know? I think it's pretty big, but it would probably be like I don't know, maybe up to someone's knee. Mm-hmm. Is out a large dog, but with a cat yeah. skull. Right, right. It kind of it moves sort of cat like, but also like a little yeah. bit ape like, and it's kind of cobbled together from various bits and parts. It's all very the 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 aesthetic of the movie is all kind of a little bit steampunky, and in this supposed world. The, the apocalypse is, gosh, I don't know. It seems like it happens in what time period? Like the 30s or the 40s? I mean, it, it, it's really to tell. it does seem I feel like post-World War One. from... Yeah. yeah. If the fucking Wikipedia has anything on that. Just because everything's kind of like old-timey radio uh, vibes and like everything is very like war propaganda. Mm-hmm. So kind of like post-World War One or post-World War Two, but it seems a little earlier yeah. than that. Um, the reason, like, I hesitate from saying, like, World War Two is that there didn't seem to be as much of, like, the wild aircraft thing going on. Like, yeah, I think true. I saw more of, like, um, I don't know, something about the aesthetic was, like, for some reason it made me think it was more post-World War One or right. an alternate World War One in which everything was eradicated, especially, like, the gas reference. Yeah, like, I think that's that was true. more of a World War One thing, but I mean, it is a different universe than ours. I mean, they used so. plenty of gas in World War Two as well, but that's that's a fair. It's point. really hard to tell. Yeah, it is hard to tell. I think based on how advanced the technology was at the time, I would think that it would be closer to World War Two because mm-hmm. I don't think you would necessarily be able to do a lot of the uh, experiments that the doctor was doing necessarily until we had like atomic power and whatnot anyway so this creature is kind of hunting them down and uh and nine goes and hides and two kind of distracts the creature and the the beast ends up taking two so and nine gets kind of fucked up but he's ultimately okay and he escapes uh and then the the beast leaves with two so nine's kind of wandering out into the wilderness and then he sort of passes out and then he's found by five. John C. Riley. Yeah, I did. I one hundred percent did not realize that John C. Riley voiced five until I saw John yeah. C. Riley in the credits, and I was like, "Who did he play?" There's only like six like characters in this movie. <laughs> you didn't know that today, or like the first time you saw it today. I didn't realize. Oh. It. Yeah, <laughs> the more you know. I've seen this movie a few times, but I think I might have. The last time I saw this movie might have been before I knew who John C. Riley was. So it's it's been a been a bit. Um, gotcha. So yeah, I, he's found by five, uh, and five and one and eight, all kind of oh, and six kind of live in this little collective together, where one is sort of like this super dictatory 
my way or the highway type leader who's kind of um, oppressing the rest of them and using eight to kind of... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He uses eight to kind of be his his muscle and enforce him because eight's just like a big, dumb muscle boy. Um, (laughs) And five five is kind of like this... uh, He's got one eye and he's kind of timid, but he's mostly like, you know, the same kind of build and stuff as as nine is uh Mm -hmm. and then six is is super crazy obvious tim burton contribution into the movie (laughs) he's got like little um what do you call them like his fingertips are like the ends of uh of ink pens Mm -hmm. so he like draws and he's got like scraggly hair uh so we're kind of introduced to the scenario here where uh upon finding nine one kind of yells at five for going out to get him in the world because they're supposed to be hiding from the beasts and doing nothing else they don't want to bring the beasts back to them um all about that short-term survival like ride it out until the beast is dead and then exactly yeah yeah and so one kind of explains to nine the whole situation that they're in that when the rest of them sort of awoke in the world it was during the war and there's like kind of a shot of like you know the people and the robots fighting each other, which surprise that that that's what happened was happening during the war was the robots versus the people, which gets explained a little bit later. But mm-hmm. um, so they're all just trying to survive, and then there's like a shot of one of the robots sends out this gas bomb, and the gas starts going, and then we see two walking around, and it doesn't affect him because they're you know they don't have lungs, they're little robot sack boys, mm-hmm. robot sack boys, yeah. <laughs> They should make skins in Little Big Planet to be the characters in uh in Nine. I feel- it's just <laughs> it's so obvious. Maybe and they have, it- or like maybe they considered doing it, but the, then the movie wasn't like popular enough to work out. I don't know. Or what they could do is launch a bunch of toys called the Robot Sack Boys. Rock'em Sock'em Sack Boys. So anyway, all the humans died off from the gas, basically, and and our our cast of little boys survived. Basically, uh, you know, one and nine are kind of butting heads because nine is like searching for answers and he wants to go help too. And not, and one is like, well, no, we can't we can't do anything. We have to just stay here. He's lost to us now. He's as good as gone. We don't want to get the rest of us killed. Right. Mm-hmm. So then against one's orders, nine sort of convinces five that they should go look for two. And um they get this map together and they have some buddy buddy time and they're going to to the factory where one saw or uh, nine saw the beast taking two and um when they get there the they see the beast fiddling with the talisman that uh that nine had and he's like about to put it in this machine but they're busy kind of rescuing two and then they make a noise and the beast is like oh shit the motherfuckers are here and they and he goes and uh they have a little brawl and then seven shows up she's got like uh, a bird mask on and she like runs up and she like a, you know has a little badass conflict with the the beast and ends up killing it so then uh the movie's over then everything is happy and that's that that would have been the end of it but <laughs> so nine imagine who's who's looking for his answers he finds the talisman on the ground and he sees where the beast was about to put it. Uh, to be fair, they didn't see that that's what the beast was about to do to it. But like the symbols on the talisman match up with this thing. And he's like, huh, what does this do? Ooh. And he puts the thing on the, on, in, the, in the slot. And then, you know, two runs over and is like, whoa, 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 motherfucker. Probably we don't shouldn't even know do what that. that does. 
And then what the talisman does is it activates the the main antagonist of the film, which is the machine, which is this giant claw, one-eyed, grabby thing that wakes up. And as soon as the uh, the talisman opens up, it it's it basically kills too. Like it sucks his soul into the into the machine, and then the machine wakes up, and then. Uh, Basically, one, five, and or uh, gosh, I keep calling them one, nine, five, and seven. This is gonna get real confusing. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they as- at least it's like I don't know. Do you think it's more confusing to have the characters be numbers? No, I don't think it's more confusing. Just for the sake of like describing what's going on, it's a little bit annoying to keep track of. Hmm. Because anyway. you'd be like, yeah. you'd be remembering and be like, oh yeah, that guy's based on a number, but they're all numbers, you know? Right. Anyway, the the three of them, they escape the machine, and, um, you know, seven and five are kind of like, dude, what the fuck? Uh, because nine, you know, they pretty much all their problems would have been solved, more or less, but nine activated the machine by accident, and he kind of owns that, but, he, you know, still, like, not great. So, in search for answers of how to stop this thing, they go to a library where they find three and four, who are uh, little twins. And I, I like their aesthetic as a lot because, like, after the first few times watching the movie, I realized that they're made out of they're made out of uh, gardening gloves. Yeah. Because I was just like, "What's that weird flap on their back?" And it's the <laughs> other finger, <laughs> because you know, one of their arms are are two of the fingers, mm-hmm. and their legs were made from the other two fingers. And then they've got like the, you know, the wrist going over their head, kind of like hoods. And uh, they don't speak. Like, I, I really like how they were. I think they were supposed to represent fireflies or look like fireflies <laughs> because of oh. how they'd flicker and like the fingers sort of down their backs would look like wings. So they seemed okay. very like flitty, insect like. Like Yeah, so yeah. they don't talk. They just kind of flitter their eyes at each other. And like you know, like do little they're cute things. Really cute. They're cute. Yeah. Yeah. They seem like the youngest ones there, even though they're the third and fourth oldest ones there. But they've got this whole library set up where they've been doing like research on everything. So it's kind of revealed that uh, you know seven and three and four all were kind of sick of one's bullshit and they left. And uh, bye. Yeah. So they were to to one and eight. They were kind of as good as dead. But surprise, they're alive. So mm-hmm. they um they go through some of their library research and they find this thing about the machine and how it was made by the scientist guy, the one that Pat mentioned earlier. Who was commissioned by the dictator. Yeah, yeah. So there was the chancellor who commissioned, who who wanted this, uh, this machine to be made. And it's like this old-timey propaganda video that's just like, oh, the machine is brought in for a new age of science and he's gonna make machines of peace and the image in the background is like him making a bunch of robots with gatling guns coming out of their face so <laughs> i don't know how they really swung that one to the public <laughs> so yeah like eventually the machines go on to instead of only killing the dictator's enemies they decide that the, the machines turn on the peeps. Is to destroy all human life mm-hmm. yeah. on earth like period so they just start gassing and killing and it's nuts yeah, so then, like... I guess I didn't catch how the machine came to be, like, shut off in the first place. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's explained, really. Maybe the scientist did something. I'm all, I'm a little bit confused by the timeline, because one definitely mentions, like, things happen, them being there for years, 
But when all the gas went off in the in the flashback sequence, like the scientist must have survived because he made nine at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the scientist did survive because he put his soul into all of the the right. The yeah. So fucking... that's the kind of reveal that comes later is that the scientist he was the one who made the machine, but he made it just from his intellect. But the reason that it went all evil is because it lacked the human soul. So then he like used this black magic method with this talisman to split his soul into nine parts and then put them in in the ragdolls and that's our characters. Um, so a bunch of shit fucking en- ends up happening. They like some. We can get into some details later if we end up talking about it. But basically, uh, eight, five, six end up dying in the same way that two did. And then, uh, you know, it's like the entire movie is kind of this conflict with nine and one where one is trying to play it safe and also, you know, like preserve what they have. And nine is like, no, we got to stop this shit from happening and put an end to it. And then by the end of the movie, after they've all been sort of sacrificed, nine figures out all the secrets of the talisman by going back and finding a message left to him by the professor or the, yeah, uh, the doctor or whatever. Why, like... Throughout the movie, sort of, well, well, not throughout the movie, but when it becomes like, okay, we want to understand this talisman better, mm-hmm. Six leads them to be like, oh, like, hey, like, go to the source, go to the source, like, yeah. Um, and they take that to mean the, like, the talisman itself, like, that's hooked onto the giant bad boy AI. But, um, the source was probably like, no, go to the scientist because the scientist yeah. was the source of the. Yeah, I'm wondering yeah. why. Like, if the rest of them woke up in that room as well? Because Nine seemed to be the only one who knew about it at all. Well, I'm assuming that the scientist was still alive for the rest of them, and he died Mm -hmm. creating Nine, so maybe he, like... Right, but maybe, but like, maybe he did it in different places or something, or, like, none of them seemed to know anything about him, but they would have come to life while he was still alive, you know? I don't know, man. It's weird. Or yeah, like the- it, it leaves some things up for the imagination, but ultimately, like at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. you know, Nine comes up with this plan where he's gonna lure the beast to uh, to come take his soul, and then the rest of them can rip off the talisman to you know free the others who are all their souls are all trapped inside, and then mm-hmm. at the last minute, you know, there's a great Chekhov's gun where earlier in the movie one is like lecturing and he's just like. Yeah, I sent out two to die because he was like looking for answers because sometimes one needs to be sacrificed for the good of the many. And mm-hmm. then at the end, he's like, he's kind of monologuing to himself at the end right before yeah. nine sacrifices himself. And he's like, sometimes one must be sacrificed. And he goes and he pushes him out of the way. Because I'm one, get it? I'm one. Yeah, because that's his it. name. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> um. So basically, yeah. So nine, seven, three, and four are the only ones alive at the end of the movie after they kill the beast and then they release all of their souls into the ether and they they all you know have their goodbyes and then the their souls all float away and then it starts raining and then the last shot of the movie is uh the raindrops having little little green boys in them so maybe the the world is given life again is perhaps (laughs) the implication it's supposed to be like a world rebirth kind of thing Yeah, yeah 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 so yeah it's definitely like it has a lot of um it has a lot of like familiar elements in it like okay you have like a protagonist character who's like carrying this mm-hmm. light bulb torch to like yeah. <laughs> to the future you have like a like a religious like popey archetype character that's representing like rigid order and like how yeah. things are supposed to be so i mean like all of the 
all of the like parts of the soul are are apparently evident of something um or like right, right. they're supposed to be like types of some kind that yeah like they together all have represent personalities humanity. they're yeah. not quite as like specific as like oh this person yeah. represents happiness and this person represents fear no, it's, but it's you know it's not emotions like they all have, yeah they all have good personalities but they definitely are all they all have sort of yeah. driving emotions that kind of steer them well they they have uh, like they have distinct roles like you have a historian archivist you have like a visionary in six you have like the um yeah six the is kind of like the... like uh, like authoritative like religious figure <laughs> that Mm-hmm. is like very pope like you big beefy boy yeah like and then yeah, you, have, big, be- you have a warrior big beefy character, punch boy um in seven and then like since your protagonist is nine like i don't know nine seems to be the trickiest but i think he trickiest but i think he's supposed to be like a herald like a torchbearer person because yeah. of the whole like light bulb thing no, so he's jesus I mean, well, kind of because like it, this, this, this whole thing, like, okay, you had an apocalypse, you had like a cleanse of humanity, and now you have like yeah. the story of the rebirth yeah. of like the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, no, I do nine think is defi- that I feel like Nine is definitely yeah. like, yeah, he does, he, he does Jesus. have some Jesusy vibes, or he's kind of like you know ushering in the new age and and, and mm-hmm. lightning and stuff like that. But um, I guess we should talk about the short film real quick, in that it's a lot more brief. The yeah. main antagonist in that one is just the beast in it. I think the only two ragdolls we see in terms of like corporeal form are five and nine. Yeah, they're five and nine, but the character in the short five is kind of a mixture between two and five mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah. Like he acts like two, but he's got one eye and is five. Yeah. But he's he's like they don't talk, but he's like kind of an old older guy, mm-hmm. which is how yeah. one and two were in the in the movie. So they kind of split that character into two and five, but and then nine spends the majority like he flashes back a little bit to tell us the backstory in his memory, but then at the same time he's like he's setting up a trap a for the beast, yeah. yeah. So he lures the beast into his like home, I would think that it is, mm-hmm. uh, and then it makes it seem like he's being cornered, whereas he actually lured the beast into this trap where he like jumps over, knocks a book off of a shelf, which in turn lowers the thing that the beast is currently standing on and he falls into a pit and gets impaled supposedly yeah um which is like there's a lot of that in the movie too of them sort of like impromptu setting up traps that just like immediately work exactly how they want like they they'll like throw a string into some gears that are rotating which will pull the robot up and crush them and so there's a lot of like kind of um, amusing the, the, sort of I like really, traps, really movie traps. Home Alone for this, but that is human, <laughs> so I couldn't do it. Yeah, it's really hard to swing Home Alone as a uh, as a post humanity film. You yeah. could swing it as a post morality film if you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the entire violent slapstick thing yeah. is i don't know have you heard like small aside here like have you heard the whole thing about how the the kid in home alone like grows up to be jigsaw mm-hmm. from, yeah. like... i have heard that theory <laughs> that's really funny <laughs> and i was just like but, it yeah. makes too much sense i can't it does make too much sense <laughs> and i'm totally here for fan theories like that <laughs> the the ending of the short film is very similar to the ending of the real film where they end up taking both halves of the talisman, putting them together and then uh, letting souls of previously. Right. Instead of five of them, it's the other eight. He's the last one left in the short. He's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, he's doing like a Viking role for the scraps of 
burlap that he has left over from them. Mm-hmm. And Which in the short actually I think were them because the beast was like wearing them as a fucking uh like as a pelt. He had like yeah. stitched their bodies together. Whereas in the, the movie I think yeah. it was just whatever they had on hand. But Yeah. Um and this seems to like sort of support the like characters as symbols idea. It's like mm-hmm. the short seemed to be telling a different version of how like humanity's rebirthed yeah <laughs> like there's there's a different kind of um there's a different narrative there that like sort of shows the same thing of like how do we get to the point where all of these like this release happens right like there's yeah. a lot more plot in the movie but like yeah. the vibe is sort of like mm-hmm. a similar kind of yeah thing that it's focusing on well mm-hmm. that's a good summary i think that probably cut out some of the some of the minutiae of explaining the beginning part of it. All right, I think we should move on to the domains where my friends can talk about some stuff. Swag. All right, Pat. Uh so we're going to we're going to go over the and Jonavi. We're going to go mm-hmm. to the domains now. Um <laughs> Gosh, they really just took out all of the. Am I like not looking at the right document? I have no There's idea. There's like though. no reads for anything anymore. Uh, Which I guess is fine. You gotta wing it. You gotta wing it. All right, all right, Patty Cakes. Tell me what what you what you brought. What is this Eidolon shit? How right. does it relate? Eidolon, a very not well known video game. Um, Can confirm. Did not know it. Yeah, so it's on Steam. And I got it as part of a Humble Bundle. And I was like, whatever, I'll just install it, try it out. It is an open-world, first-person survival game that takes place in the, like, wooded areas around Seattle and, like, northwestern Washington. Hmm. And you're alone. Like, there's no other humans whatsoever. You don't even know who the fuck you are, first and foremost. You could be a human, you could not be a human. Um, what does the character the entire, look like? You can't see because it's a first-person game. Oh, it's first person. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. When will your reflection show who the fuck you so, are um, inside? You're just going through this very beautifully rendered. Uh, it's not like realistically rendered or anything. Like it's it's an indie game, so the art's not realistic, but it is still very pretty. And um, you're going through all this area. You have to survive, meaning like you need to provide food for yourself, shelter. Um, if you get injured, you have to find a way to uh, heal yourself and whatever. But as you're walking through, you start finding weird clues as to what happened. So you end up finding out that you're in a post-apocalyptic area around Western Washington. It's not clear if it extends to the entire rest of the world, but you really only know that there are a couple surviving cities. If the other that... states are all fine. It's just Washington that got fucked up. <laughs> I think that the and nobody surviving noticed. cities end up being in, um, like, fucking... Fucking Kansas? No, Australia. Oh, okay. I guess I'll, I'll run through the plot as Wikipedia describes it, just to make sure I don't miss anything. But Eidolon takes place approximately in the year 2400, according to the website. And um, you find out that through all these documents and images that you collect based on some beacons that, like, kind of guide you through the game... Um, there was a an earthquake in 2031 that ended up flooding Seattle, but it also exposed a new mineral um, that was discovered to make humans nearly immortal while either ingesting it or near it. But hmm. um, the emphasis on the nearly <laughs> humanity decided that they were going to build these beacons called eidolons um, out of this mineral, and anybody within a certain radius of the beacon 
would become immortal. But then as time went on and people spent more and more time in the influence of this mineral, they became dependent on it. So every time they were lacking this mineral, they would go through fatal withdrawal symptoms. Um, all the people who lived out in the wilderness went through normal life cycles and whatnot, but they just didn't produce enough like future generations in order to keep humanity alive. So within this same time span, um, there was a new race of people that kind of mutated from humans and became, um, they essentially got the effects of the beacons innately, so they didn't need the um the mineral anymore they became like immortality they get they got immortality they became superhumans with like flight and different abilities um so then there was a conflict between all the people who were normal humans and the new race which was called the senin um and then that went through a social breakdown where society collapsed and people started dying because they um the senin were destroying beacons so that they could live on and humanity would die off because they were dependent on it and they'd go through withdrawal so that period was known as the fall. And then um, like there were, oh, I guess it's not in um, Australia that they're surviving. It's in a place called Victoria, which I think is in Washington, actually. Um, but that survived only as a secluded police state. Um, so all of Washington has pretty much collapsed at this point. And you wake up not knowing what happened. You find a series of letters, uh, mostly from uh, this one specific character named Tria. And she came to Washington long after the fall in search of a cure for the beacon dependence to kind of help out the world's remaining cities so that she so that she could essentially end the conflict between the two races and humanity could live on without needing the beacons and all that jazz. So through the game, you find out that the cure for this beacon dependence was actually in Victoria, Washington the entire time, but you don't know if it actually worked or anything. So the gameplay is really you're just going around collecting clues. The way the story unfolds is really nice because it doesn't tell you straight up what's happening. You have to go through the entire game in order to really get the whole picture. Mm -hmm. But if you ever get lost, there is a built-in help feature that like a beacon, the beacons will glow toward the direction that you need to go. and it'll help you out by finding the next clue that way. And that's really it. Like, there are no antagonists necessarily to you as a person. You run into, like, normal survival situations where, like, you need food and water and all that. But it's a very relaxing, very calm game that the low-poly visuals actually make it even prettier. Like, I stopped playing the game for, like, 10-minute intervals just to explore and see all the cool nature vibes. The The night sky is so detailed with, like, stars and everything like that. It was a very very pretty game and just like a ridiculously relaxing situation so that's pretty much the entire game i don't know how much time i have left but all right i think with that i think we're gonna move on to Jenny. cool yeah all right Jonavi, my friend mm-hmm. what's uh tell me tell me what you what you got this this book that you read <laughs> like a nerd what's that all about cool so i read um the book galapagos by kurt vonnegut um case all y'all or our listeners are not familiar with vonnegut um one of the recurring characters in his book is kilgore trout who is like That's a nice this name. So- murder like, fish he- hmm Murder fish. Murder fish. I. I mean. I guess so. I. I. I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't remember why he was named what he was named. But anyway, 
he like Kilgore Trout is this like science fiction writer who um sort of sort of traverses like time and space a lot <laughs> and his um and it is through the lens of Leon Trout through this that this novel is told through Leon Trout is um a spooky ghost living in the ship oh, shit. that's carrying all of these people to the Galapagos um so there's um a number of characters who sort of like escape on a cruise ship to the Galapagos when there's this sort of like um pandemic of like a fertility killing virus that sort of gets the rest of mankind but the people on this ship like make it um and they end up on the largest of the not the largest one of the Galapagos islands and sort of it's it's telling this like story of the survivors and then leon sort of like watching them and like making asides and then throughout the book there's sort of like a bunch of quotes from famous authors like t.s Eliot. um and uh-huh. basically it's even more th- through the course of the book like through the course of like the million years that the ghost of leon trout is watching like what happens to these people is that they um evolve into like almost like seal-like things with um because the people who do the best at surviving on the island are the ones that are good at swimming and um Mm -hmm. he's just like oh and and to like from the satirical perspective of the book this is like a good thing because most of humanity's problems is caused by over large brains um (laughs) and you'd just be happier yeah and not being just like seals that were good at at catching fish and stuff. Um, so Leon's there's... just like, well, that took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's a bunch of like funny quotes, <laughs> like um, like potential terrorist is a terrorist, and uh, let's see, mere opinions, in fact, were as likely to govern people's actions as hard evidence, and were subject to sudden reversals as hard evidence could never be. Um, and just so a lot of like very Vonnegut like oh ha, ha. humans would just be happier if they were less like if they if they had like less of a like a three kilogram brain that's a lot of like room <laughs> to come up with all these like weird ass things that just cause problems. So um, the reason that it's on the Galapagos is the, are the Galapagos Islands where the finch. Yeah, like that. Yes. That was the like Charles Darwin is quoted also like. It's all, like yeah. it's sort of like Kurt Vonnegut's like take on evolution, and I like. So are oh. we thinking that on the other Galapagos Islands there are other humans that evolved quite differently into not seal things, or is that not really addressed? Or or I I don't think that that happens because it's like heavily implied that the only humans left in the world are these like survivors on this island. Oh, okay. Oh, here's another one that I that I found in in my notes <laughs> said. Just about every adult human being back then had a brain weighing about three kilograms. There was no end to the evil schemes that a thought machine that oversized couldn't imagine and execute. So I raise this question. Although there is nobody around to answer it, can it be doubted that the three kilogram brains were once nearly fatal defects in the evolution of the human race? So it's just like Kurt Vonnegut's like fiction but slash expose on how... um being too intelligent just causes problems and it's not actually um an evolutionary like end mm-hmm. game um which is sort of like when when we brought up this topic of, of posthumanism there are a bunch of science fiction authors that sort of deal with um like the other side of this is like oh yeah like we're going to get 
more intelligent. We're going to have all these new abilities. We're going to do this and do that. And Kurt Vonnegut's like, nah, <laughs> that just causes problems. We're just going to turn into seals. Exactly. So I thought this was kind of an interesting, like, take to, like, uh, of, like, what post-human means. Like, in a post-human right. world, like, just self-sustaining, like, human civilization or, like, all of these things that are valuable in, like, an exclusively human context don't really matter anymore. And what mm-hmm. you need to succeed is in fact different <laughs> and then also like talking about like well uh what do you need to know about like the world in this environment you're just trying to survive and if you're just trying to survive <laughs> like nobody cares if you know like quantum whatever like nobody cares if like you're well informed about things that are dead now like right. what matters is if you can catch some motherfucking fish so <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so was his point i guess to kind of satire the i don't want to say like the overvaluation of education and whatnot like where to the point that people start doing things that aren't necessarily valuable to society or is it like or is it just kind of a farce well (laughs) it's partly kind of a farce but also just kind of um trying to do like a humility check on a lot of these like Mm-hmm. Cuz the book was published in I want to say 1985 and a lot of science fiction I think at the time or a lot of literature was aspirational like what can we do with all this technology like right. what can we do with all of this like new information that we're getting because of these advances but at the same time they haven't addressed like the things like oh well long term social problems that have been around like since we've been around, like, you know, famine and war and all of that, like, has there been any progress in addressing those things? <laughs> or, like, right. because, like, the the human advantage is, like, okay, like, cooperation with, like, one another and the ability to sort of coordinate these, like, large-scale things. And then, um, you know, the, the intellectual aspect of it, like, curiosity and discovery and, like, preservation of knowledge through generations and stuff like that. And then so when all of that is deemed irrelevant, <laughs> like, what are you left with? And then yeah. if you take the, like, evolutionary um, utility perspective of, like, oh, well, Darwin, <laughs> um, like, you, you, you wouldn't get necessarily humans who would evolve into the future um, who are, like, maintaining all of that, especially <laughs> since, like, Vonnegut is a cynical boy. <laughs> he, you know, is always talking about or like referencing like human foibles and problems so it's basically just kind of it it is mostly meant to be a satire but i do think that it's an interesting sort of counterpoint to um a lot of other things that are like oh post-apocalyptic and bleak it's just like the it's supposed to be a happy ending that humans evolve away from their overlarge brains (laughs) (laughs) sort of like a bittersweet kind of thing where it's just like happy for them but for us as the humans to supposedly turn into these seals does not sound so great (laughs) right like it it, like it doesn't sound great to know to us because of all the context we have like we have a completely different set of priorities we have a completely different idea of what's valuable in life in lo- because of our overlarge brains according to Vonnegut. So, um but anyway, I would I would recommend the book. I think that it is um I I think that it offers sort of like a perspective that is not really brought up that much. And I mean, I'm all for like Kurt Vonnegut's like Mark Twainy but more cynical <laughs> like sci-fi vibe. Um, so anyway, anyway, that's why I wanted to, to talk about it because it's like post-human, but in like a regression way, 
and not really a um a rebirth kind of way like it is with nine or a um, transhumanist like what can we do now with our potential kind of way it's like no 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 calm down (laughs) this is what's gonna happen (laughs) so Alrighty. yeah all right that's galapagos fun stuff i think we should move on I I straight up I was I I was going in my mind to press like stop the temporary stopwatch of your domain, but I almost just accidentally hung up on you guys. Oh, don't I do had that. Skype open. <laughs> <laughs> Silly Jeff, we jumping right into that fucking discussion, boy. He did not seriously take away that. We don't have a thing for the discussion anymore. All right, cool guys. We are now in the discussion section of this podcast where we're gonna break down some of our themes, some of those topics and domains, and, and talk about them a little bit. Um, gosh, I'm a, I'm a bit of a loss here, because our, our uh, though all focused on a central theme, our three things that we were talking about are quite diverse um, in the ways that this sort of, like, post-humanity thing is kind of talked about. Because in nine, it's like it's sort of like they're the the new species that takes over, and they have human characteristics, but perhaps will have some fewer flaws, or because like they have a human level of intelligence, but then are starting from the ground up in in terms of society, and they don't like really have a way to reproduce yeah. at the end of it. Then, like I guess it's you know the implication is sort of like well, I mean, how bad could they really fuck it up? There's only four of them at the end of it, right? So, <laughs> I mean, it's also sort of like you can read the story being like, oh, okay, like, let's do a hard reset on the world. Like, yeah, everything's been destroyed pretty much except for these like soul pieces. And then, right. And like, like part of these what, soul pieces are really gonna, is yeah. the point of of the uh, of the doctor researcher guy making them right is mm-hmm. to have some sort of continuation because like even in his like little bit of dialogue he's basically saying like oh humanity's done like we're we're dead this is the end of it like so mm-hmm. you guys just have to kind of continue on and it's not even like a, oh you got to destroy the machine or whatever because like what what's left for the machine to destroy after humanity is gone right so it's the puppets I, apparently well yeah but yeah. but if the puppets weren't there then you know and there would have been nothing left to destroy. Like, boom, robots win. Big whoop. Yeah. And I guess eventually the machine must have deteriorated, like, once it had destroyed everything. Yeah. So. Maybe the maybe the doctor went and, and you, know, you know, though there were all the other machines, like the ones that the, the original machine had created, maybe mm-hmm. he went and, like, stole the talisman from the sh- machine and shut it down. Because mm-hmm. it seemed to, like, need the talisman to to, like, be alive, but from the description of it, it sounded like that wasn't made using that technology, right? Because it was made using his intellect, not the soul. So maybe, like, the machine was, like, trying to acquire a soul or something? Well, yeah, because, like, that place where, like, the talisman, like, was was on the machine, like, where it was set into the machine, like, that seemed intentional, at least. Like, perhaps the machine, like, the I, I think, like, in the course of one of the scientists' narrations, it was like the machine lacked soul. 
So there must have been an attempt by the scientist at least to try to, like, give it some. um, (laughs) And then it just didn't work. (laughs) Yeah, like, so there's a lot of, like, kind of occult stuff associated with that. Like, when they open this, like, when they're like, oh, yeah, like, here's how you make your little homunculi, like, suck out part of your soul, put it into a doll. Yeah, yeah, and, like, in the diagram, it's got, like, you know, the picture of him holding the mask over his face, but then the actual thing is, like, this kind of, like, root wig doll. Mm-hmm. And it's like patched together, so it's yeah. like it seems to be like an old magic or science. Yeah, and then but the, then the the talisman itself is is he probably built it because it is kind of like yeah, techie. yeah. So so it's like this fusing of like this ancient magicy stuff with this like modern technology science. stuff. Um, but then the themes of the story itself seem to like lean less sciencey. Like the, the, the story isn't yeah, necessarily yeah, yeah. asking questions about like, what does this scientific discovery mean for like, what are the implications of a scientific thing? It was more like, okay, like I'm going to put these archetype homunculi together to sort yeah, of like, like all the present motivations this. Of the, yeah. Like all the motivations and like what's accomplished at the end of the mm-hmm. film are all like, much more spiritual than like actually yeah. tangibly relevant to you know to whatever's going on there with their yeah. society like it's still human centric even though there are no like live humans in right. the course of the events of the story which i think is kind of it's an interesting sort of thing and i think that like when looking at eidolon right it probably focuses on that a little bit as well because you don't really know what the main character is but you're basically like Though the game is not set in the story, the story of the game is like is what you're looking for, right? So it's yeah. sort of like this character who you're playing as is viewing this story that is about humanity's, you know, eventual demise. They're essentially playing like a future detective trying to solve a past crime, right? So it's kind of interesting no that, that fight, like, but there's like a bit of dramatic irony there in that, like. Or dramatic irony from the perspective of the main character, because, like, he knows that at the end of it, all this shit is going to happen, but, like, when you're actually going and viewing the story, like, it's not, it wouldn't otherwise be evident as to, like, how it would have ended. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. So, it's I don't know. So, it's just, it's kind of interesting because, like, it's taking, and I think that Galapagos does this, too, is, like, it's taking these post-human things to basically like comment or study human conditions you know what i mean yeah and like the i guess um a lot there's a lot of uncertainty throughout nine of like um like what will happen now like this is already like post-apocalypse so like something that's post-apocalypse and you have human-like but non-human sort of figures. And then even the way that like their dialogue is, is like sometimes, I don't know, it sometimes is still a little bit puppety. Like, even though yeah. they are like individual characters, like a lot of the dialogue seems to be like kind of weighted <laughs> in a yeah. way. Yeah, no, I was thinking that yeah. like, the entire story seems a little bit compressed, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, they'll have one sentence be, like, what could have easily been a scene, you know? Like, when, um, like, one is saying, like, oh, we have to go look at Six's art, right, to figure out what's going on, and Seven is just like, I'm not going back to one. And yeah. And then she, like, storms out, and we're like, 
whoa, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. But it's, like, and, but it, like, that kind of thing in another movie might bother me more than it does in this mm-hmm. film, because it feels, like, very much just, like, yeah. kind of a compression of a longer story, which stylistically is kind of interesting at some yeah. points, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, like, the characters get to develop and sort of, you know, show their personalities and kind of know each other faster than the amount of time that they actually spent together, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. And, like, maybe that was an intentional thing, saying, like, oh, they are already kind of know each other inherently since they are all from the same person. Mm-hmm. But it might have just been, like, a, a choice just to get the movie pushing along. But I don't know. So, like, there there does seem to be a lot of symbolism in the movie. Like, when... Their their first sort of like meeting place or sanctuary is a church, like an old church, yeah. and then their other um sort of like, and then their the, the other sort of like main place of old, other than where the machine is, is the library. Yeah. So you yeah. have like kind of the church versus the library, which seems very like telling. And then you have that moment where one the character is like when the rest of them are sort of like figuring out, hey, how were we made? What's up with our origins? Um, how do we get rid of this giant beast dude? One is the one being like, no, 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 that's dark magic. <laughs> like that's <Yeah>. dark. <laughs> like the like. Um, the humans did this and like look where it got them like what like we should just leave this all behind and like not worry about that for most of the movie he seems like just kind of an irrational asshole but then like you do kind of get he does make a good point every once in a while you know it's just like yeah I mean I I wouldn't pull it to quite that extreme but he is kind of right like the human he's like clearly the character with the most resent of the humans perhaps because he was you know I mean, it's not clear how much older he is than the other ones. Well, he probably saw the most of them if he was the first one. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's, like, yeah. it's not clear like what the gap was between all the mm-hmm. other ones, because the way that the story tells it, it kind of seems yeah. like one through eight were kind of simultaneously alive, and then nine was years later made. But like, he does seem to be the one that has like the most resent towards humanity and just being like, yeah, they left us with all of their fucking problems, and there's, like, really nothing that we have to do about and, it, so, like, why are we responsible for this? And even before he, like, sort of sacrifices himself to save Nine, he's mm-hmm. like, like, we still, like, to, to, to the end, pretty much, he, he's like, this isn't our problem. Like, we can literally figure out what to do after. Um, but the other, the other thing is that, like, he, just because I'm, I'm choosing through all the cues we have to, to just view the story symbolically, even when, like, initially early on, like, one loses his cape. Like, he needs to let go of the cape so that he can, like, yeah. continue on. And, like, you know. He's just like, hm, yeah. you owe me a new cape. <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. Like, he's he's kind of effectively lost his authority and power, but he doesn't want to, like, like, he's still, like, he's still sort of stuck in that mindset or, or, or in that role. Um, so, I don't know. I think that, I think for that, at least for one, it seems, like, very clear in the way he, in which he's supposed to be symbolic. And then mm-hmm. depending on... Um, I guess how how hard you want to take the symbolism hammer to the rest of the story. You've got like I think as I said earlier, like nine being like a torchbearer, and yeah. you have um. I I wonder what the one eyed thing is all about. Like you have the like all the evil monsters are like one eyed. 
<laughs> like all of the five mm. is one-eyed too. yeah right? five is one-eyed also well, the the cat isn't one-eyed and the bird has like several eyes and well the cat had like the one glowing red eye though did it yeah oh oh like on one of its sides yeah yeah and then and same then, thing like, with like the, the dead baby thing head the, thing the baby head snake yeah. doll thing yeah that was like literally the scariest thing i had ever seen in my life <laughs> at like when i went to <laughs> yeah, see yeah, that in theaters at, the movie, um, to see nine <laughs> The uh, the machine is being resourceful with all the things it has to make these horrible yeah. monstrosities to go hunt the rest of them with. Yeah. And it uses Two's body to be this, like, fucking siren-esque uh, lure yeah. and to this giant snake creature whose head is, like, a mm-hmm. baby doll that's, like, cracked open. <laughs> yeah, like that baby doll head with the, like, one glowing eye that's, like, half gone with, all, like, all of these fangs, and it's, like, a, I don't know, man. It's just yeah. a lot of scary things in one. It's, the like, all right, I let's think go. The, they call it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> like, if it had, like, if, if this had not been an animated movie and they had, like, tried to make that more realistic or CGI, oh this would have definitely been a rated R movie. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> It might not have even like happened though because it wasn't didn't Tim Burton pick this up? Yeah, and, like, he, yeah. It? I mean, like it, yeah. it, it was clearly meant to be like an animated movie from the get go. I'm just saying, like I'm still like even watching it again after you know, like I don't know, being like a person in my twenties and not like a sort of like young teenish person. Yeah, um, it was yeah, still forgot, like, like what? what? <laughs> I'm watching it again. I, like not I do. Like, this is probably one of my favorite movies. Like, I enjoy it a lot. But watching <laughs> it again now, I, it made me question so much more, like, who the fuck that was the target audience for this film? Because it's, like, it's yeah. clearly not aimed at children because, like, it's pretty screwed up in a lot of the things. And for fuck's sake, more than half of the characters in the film die. And then, like, but it's also, like, the plot is a little bit... Like, I do think it's a highly symbolic plot. I don't think that this is, like, this is not, like, a typical adventure story. Like, I think this is definitely, and there's definitely, like, a lot of, like, occult things in it. Like, you have, like, somebody infusing souls into dolls. Like, that is not necessarily, like, like, and the movie doesn't treat that like it's this sort of weird, horrific thing. It seems more like, oh, no, this is what had to happen so that, like, the civilization could continue. The entire thing is saying, like, yeah, humanity fucked up, like, real hard with this one. But then at the end, you know, suddenly the only thing that's, like, that makes the robots okay is because they have a human soul. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like it it contends itself a little bit there, where it's like, you know, the, like, humanity, we, like, we all had souls, but yet someone still made this robot and the Chancellor still existed and still started all these wars. But then, like, the human soul is, like, the redeeming feature of of the ragdoll, of the ragdoll people, as opposed to the machine. So it's kind of like, I don't know, there's, like, an interesting aspect of it to it there. So it's, like, maybe suggesting that, like, humanity lost a bit of its soul as well. Yeah, I, I think that for sure. But it's just kind of, like, it's very clear of, like, oh, the humans brought this on itself. And that humanity brought it on itself. right so Um, i mean like ultimately like all three of these stories are in some way commenting on like how the like they're all taking when you break it down pretty farcical concepts and saying like oh this is the ridiculous way that mankind is going to fucking destroy itself right 
like in nine, right? It's presented as all very serious and is a real problem. But at the end of the day, it's like it like, you know, I think they knew what they were doing when they're like showing these propaganda films where it's saying like they'll make machines of peace. Meanwhile, the visual in the propaganda film is like making a machine that has a fucking Gatling gun cut sticking out of it. It's just like making some comment like, oh, yeah, like humanity is actually really stupid. Like they would probably fall for that. Right. So it's right. like taking these sort yeah. of. The you over know. large brains, you know, like yeah, right. So we like, we have the ability to execute on these impulses, you know, it's that like we have in the first place. Propaganda yeah. ideas and like you know the angry dictator who just want who's just bloodthirsty for war and like blowing them way out of proportion. And then like you know even in Eidolon, right? Like mm-hmm. like the thing that does the human beings in is just like oh they're just like greedy for immortality, and then there ends up being like power struggles over that right where it's just like actually like i'm not sure how much of a proportion of society would choose to be immortal you know and then also with like i i think it was said in nine that um it was the machine itself that after being like wait (laughs) people are just fucking it up time to take care of the problem (laughs) time to like get rid of them all so it's sort of like um a a darker and less nuanced version of what Vonnegut presented in in Galapagos, which is like, okay, most of humanity is gone. There's a small population left to repopulate. And uh, the best thing is for them to, you know, get rid of some of that brain poundage. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I guess I'm curious, like in Eidolon, like how much of a commentary does the, the story that you find ultimately make about humanity? I mean, the main commentary that the creator wanted to make was that humanity The world is probably better off without us. <laughs> no, not that the world's better off without us. It's just in general, humans are very transient and nature is very permanent. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, if you looked, there's that old adage where if you look at a clock, the entire history of humans can fit, like, in less than a second. Yeah. Right. Um. So it's mostly about, like, when human conflict eventually tears itself apart that the world will be no different whatsoever like it might be better off without us but at the same time like there are all these cities that are flooded now and there are at at the very least there are like fish and some deer but there's not a whole lot else in terms of life it's just like a lot of trees and shit so i was just gonna say that even the um imposition of like the idea of what is better or worse we're still viewing through the lens of like what is better or worse from like our human human perspective perspective. in the first place right whereas the nature is just sort of indifferent (laughs) because it doesn't the way yeah i interpreted the name of the game Whereas, like, if you look at the definition of Eidolon, it can be, like, a ghost year. Um, or an idealism, figure. yeah. Exactly. So that, like, humans are the Eidolons in that situation where our impact on the universe or the world is nothing more than, like, a ghost. Hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. We can leave behind permanent structures and shit, but we can't leave anything of ourselves behind besides, like, bones. Yeah. Which, again, subject to decay. <laughs> Pretty much. Just, yeah. like, gone. Um... In the in the general yeah. universe scheme, right? Of so it's just like being the idea of being a ghost, because even like Leon Trout is a ghost. <laughs> He's the narrator Leon of Trotsky my thing. Trout. I don't know. I, I think there's something to that of like if so, we want to tell a story about like a post-human or like about 
places or speculate on like what happens when there's no more humanity um the kind of consciousness you need to form a narrative isn't even like a full person it's a ghost like it's a think, it's a phantasm no, i'm just wondering do you think that they made as their lot that leon and in kilgore their last name trout and then had the human race to evolve into something that was really good at eating fish. Do you think that that was like? Well, am I no? T- <laughs> because Kilgore Trout is a is a character across a lot of on yeah stories. Oh, okay, so yeah. I don't think he necessarily did that for this purpose. No, he was probably just like, might... what's an eye catching name, <laughs> Kilgore Trout? Yeah. Well, I mean, the story behind the trout is that he had a, a colleague whose last name was Sturgeon, and he thought that was really funny. <laughs> so. <laughs> Just so many fish in the sea. <laughs> yeah. On the surface level, the reason why I thought of Eidolon was mostly because it had mixed reviews, and 9 has mixed reviews as well. A lot of people didn't like it. I am indifferent about 9. I didn't think it was like bad, but I didn't think it was necessarily anything that I would go out of my way to watch again. But then, as I was researching it, I saw the thing about it starting out as a thesis project, and I remembered that the short story version of 9 was a college project as well wasn't it yeah 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 so i mean I it was, that was a, really i think cool it was parallel. like a ucla um film workshop of design project or, yeah, yeah. Or something like that yeah so it was it's just cool to see like how the backgrounds of how things can start and become very similar in the end product but vastly different at the same time yeah because like, like a lot like the elements of the original short are definitely in there and like the entire thing was just like this you know kind of interesting narrative about this little being that had thought so far ahead of this creature that it was able to like set up some elaborate trap and like that happens like five or six times in the movie but Mm -hmm. like it's all within the context of this narrative that's very different than i think like whereas the the original short was just kind of meant to be this little cerebral sort of you know yeah right you don't get a lot of the symbolism for sure that the the main movie has but i thought in general, you could get the gist of the entire story of the full-length movie in the 10 minutes or so that the YouTube video had. Yeah. Like, you'd have to extrapolate a little bit on your own knowledge, but... It's interesting just, like, looking at it from, like, what stayed and and what changed and... Yeah. Like, I, I think I've watched that movie a few times and I've watched, like, the director's commentary and I always, like, you know, it's just interesting to like hear about all the decisions made because like ultimately the the main thing about the movie that's interesting is like the animation and the environment and like the like little subtle clues that are put together do quite like the movie that's mostly what they're like attracted to yeah it, it is very like it is very unique and it does occupy like a very unique slot in the media landscape we have yeah of, like I mean, again just, like, who is this movie for people who are really into like both right. animation and like this particular um like dark steampunky aesthetic that is like extremely creative in its own way but is also like what is this for what who <laughs> right yeah yeah because like it's, there's just so many weird little details that you like you notice watching it again which is like i i enjoy how like there's an iterative process to like them how like you know one is kind of like strapped together and he and his head is just like you know tied together in a knot and his hands are made out of just pieces of scrap metal that are like mm-hmm. bolted together whereas when we get to nine you know he's a little bit more refined right like he's got like 
Yeah. Two makes a big deal out of it. He's like, oh, you're so well made. <laughs> like, look yeah. at your, like, me a little wood. bit because, like, he comments on, like, the copper working in his, in his hands, and both five and seven have, like, the exact same hands that he does, so that, that irritated <laughs> me on, like... <laughs> but... Anyway, yeah, I think we should uh, wrap up the discussion. Move on to sure the thing. ratings. Mm-hmm. Colin just straight up does not post anymore, so I don't think I should mention that. I think you have creative license to do whatever you want. There, yeah, I'm just looking at what's in this actual read. If you want to have your own questions or comments read on the show, we make weekly posts on Facebook, which we don't. So I'm not going to read that. Um, <laughs> oh you no! Can see those every other Friday. No, we sure can't. <laughs> Likes and shares and comments. Okay, so, um, all right. So, before we move on to the rating section, I just want to mention that, um, we do have a, a, a raffle going on on the podcast, kind of informally all the time, or formally. Well, we're not formal, though, so I'm not going to say we're formally doing it, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're pretty, we're pretty chill with this shit. Uh, <laughs> So if you like or share or comment on any of the posts that we make about the show or, you know, like tweet them out to friends and stuff, then you are entered into a raffle where you get the opportunity to pick a, a, a topic for a future episode. And those episodes are super fun to do. Pat, Pat, you're doing one pretty soon, right? Uh, yep. Or and slash. I have not actually played the fucking game that I have to talk about. So. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be a fun time sometimes that yeah. happens i had to play i mean honestly Dota, so. i feel like i should just be an impartial judge to a debate that eddie and time will have but yeah we'll see but sometimes that happens you get to get get some interesting discussion by being thrown curveballs but um yeah so comment and interact with our shit and maybe you'll get to be more interactive with our shit that's yeah. basically how it works please all right please talk to us on to the fun times. Thank you guys for a very good discussion. We are now moving on to the rating section, where we're gonna have each of our each of these guys rate the topic on a scale from one to five. Oh geez. Mm. I mean, one I to guess five OGs. Oh geez, yeah, one to five OGs. I mean, I guess I could just say like. No, because then what would we call them? Numbers? Ragdolls? But there's nine of them. This doesn't make any sense. Call it earlier. Uh, something... Something boys? <laughs> the, 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 uh, sack Ragdoll boys. robot boys? Ragdoll, yeah. ragdoll sack boys? But, okay, here, but here's the thing. We'll do the dead ones, because there were five of those at the end. Yeah. So, I made a little pentagram and everything. Yeah. So dead we're gonna have you guys rate the topic on a scale from one to five ghosts of dead robot sack boys of uh ragdoll sack boys <laughs> so pat you want to start us off all right um like i said i'm not the biggest fan of this movie and while i didn't think it was bad in any meaning of the word i also didn't think it was great so i'm gonna give it three and a half dead robot sack babies boys <laughs> out of five <laughs> <laughs> Dead Robot Sack Baby Boys. Aw, it's the new My That's Little fair Pony. I, yeah, it's like the kind of movie that like I can I can see the 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 things with it where it's like you kind of have to be into the kind of shit that it is to to really yeah. have anything there to grab onto. <laughs> um, All right, Jonavi. Yeah, so I um I'm gonna give it a four. Um, All right. I I I can't give it a five just because I feel like in a movie so symbolic, I feel like it needs to make a stronger point, and it needs to have like a little <laughs> bit of a uh, yeah, just a little bit of a, a neater ending, and like 
okay, the movie ends and there's a clear end to like what they're doing, but I, I don't think that it does a necessarily a good job of like... Yeah, mostly things are a little bit in inconsequential throughout the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, like it, it doesn't necessarily like have uh, the strong narrative perspective that I would expect from something in which every like character, to me at least, very clearly symbolic of something. <laughs> Right. Um, so I, I think that even though I like it and I think it's good, I think it's unique. And in a lot of ways, my criticism of it is like one of the things that I think is unique about it. Like it ha mm -hmm. it's a different flavor of story that's not yeah. necessarily like um, very tied to like somebody's personal revelation or character growth, um, which is difficult to do in a movie and then still have like you care about the movie at the end. Like, I wouldn't say that this is like one of those bad movies where you just have a flat character and a bunch of trope and, and a bunch of tropes thrown together, and then you're right. like, "Haha, what a bad movie!" So, I mean, I feel like it it occupies uh, occupies <laughs> um, uh, a unique like space like space in the in like the media spectrum that we have to choose from of being like this this animated movie which people associate with like being wholesome a lot of the time <laughs> and, and this is this like okay like this occult flavored like symbolic somewhat adult like fate of humanity nature of humanity commentary right. it's so, like it's pretty yeah. dark without being the way the animation is usually mm -hmm. like sometimes yeah. animation can go dark where it's like when animation goes dark it feels the need to go like super fucking dark and everyone is just like a cynical yeah. asshole and but so like there's hopey elements in the movie right. but it's definitely like yeah there's a lot of fucked up shit that happens <laughs> sounds good now, going on to award a Gold Star Student Award to the person who I thought contributed best to this episode of the podcast. Gosh, I haven't thought about this. I mean, I guess I could just do the talisman, but that seems kind of lame. I don't know. But it's like the... You could do his uh, light bulb staff. Light bulb staff's not that great. Well, <laughs> I tried. Okay. I'll, do the, I'll do the golden soul talisman thing for lack of a better name they just call it the talisman and the but i feel like just calling this award the gold talisman is a little bit too vague so we'll, hmm. we'll say the, the soul how about a baby head thing. can we have a baby head oh yeah <laughs> the, the golden seamstress baby head <laughs> the murder snake thing baby head would you rather that <laughs> you're right talismans are so yesterday let's just give out baby heads instead <laughs> uh, i yes. mean i feel like we could do that just to to have somewhere in the record of this podcast a visual representation of that fucking monstrosity. <laughs> so yeah, we'll we'll do the the golden golden seamstress monster robot thing. Um, Damn, good luck making that. Yeah, I mean, I'll just take a screen screen capture of what it looks like in the movie. Yeah, bad. and then just you have to make it yourself. Oh, I have to make it myself. You're setting up the new rules. <laughs> It's uh, it's copyright infringement if you take it a screenshot. Oh, you're right. If I just take a screenshot, then our show won't be able to be witnessed by Europe anymore, <laughs> and we won't be able to monetize. Well, yeah, I forgot about that. That or Article it, 13 I guess it's more shit. Just the United Kingdom, isn't it? Not not Europe as a whole, but yeah. Anyway, um, I think that the golden murder death seamstress baby snake is <laughs> gonna have to go to Jonavi <laughs> this week. Why? Thank you. Jonavi just brought up a lot of fun stuff about like both her domain and uh and the topic and all the 
you know, you picked up on a lot of the, the symbolic things that I thought were kind of fun about the movie and probably really its, it's strong points. So, yeah, in, enjoy your murder snake. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> You know, Do in another context, that would have come off as passive aggressive. Enjoy your murder <laughs> yeah. snake. I mean, if it helps, I think that like probably the thing is not much larger than. So the sizes of things in this movie are a little bit inconsistent, right? Because like they're only like a few inches tall, but like a baby doll head would be much larger than it was, right? Than on that snake. I mean, depends Wouldn't on how it? big the doll was. Like because I'm thinking of like when they were all like there's a flashback and a bunch of them were fitting under a helmet. Yeah. So I'm like, these so are really small. like quite small, like like a couple inches tall. So like if a baby head, I can see a baby head also being a couple inches tall if it's supposed to be like a newborn baby. Yeah, if you had to. Well, it was a doll. It wasn't. Yeah. If you had to make a me newborn guess, baby doll, like a newborn baby can't have a head bigger than like five inches. Yeah, I guess I guess that tracks. Yeah, I mean, a newborn baby is essentially like the size of a fat Chipotle burrito. Like, newborn babies are not very, like, big. You came up with that one fast. <laughs> I mean, no, my mom's an OBGYN. Like, I know a good... So she compares things to burritos a lot? You know, I think I'd rather have a burrito instead of a, a kid, you know? <laughs> I don't think you'd rather birth a burrito than a kid, but... I would much rather birth a burrito than a kid. I can eat the fucking burrito. Are you just trying to pull it back <laughs> to the beginning of the podcast where I talked about my quesadilla from Chipotle? All the kid does is nag. <laughs> And all the burrito does is burrito is things. Delicious. But they both can That's get. It. They both can drip pretty gross brown stuff. They can. Um. Well. But I'd much rather have a burrito than a child. I'm going on record. <laughs> to eat or in general? <laughs> in general, but <laughs> so, definitely but, like 100. Okay. percent <laughs> Would you rather from... eat a newborn baby or keep a burrito? I'm not going to answer this question. This is really not a we fair just, question. Yeah. Like, if this let's, was a Greek tragedy, then he could eat the baby, but he can't. And okay? wrap this up. It's not <laughs> what right, we do well, here. We'll, we'll leave you to consider that, that last <laughs> lingering question. Um, and, but, and, um, and But for now, we're going to wrap it up. So thank you guys for listening to the Common Geeking Program. Again, my name is Jeff, and you can find me um, on... I've got an Instagram. My name is Jeff. Yeah, my name is Jeff. You can find me on Instagram at Things I Wish Existed. Uh, there's a dot between each word. Um, and I have been joined by... That was a really weak burp, but yeah, it was. Pat. You can find me on Twitter at Pure Riffery. Uh, That's it. Yeah. And... I am Jonavi. I'm also at Twitter at JKIR1. Lovely. Uh, yeah. All right. Thanks for listening to us talk. Yeah, and be gone for half an hour. <laughs> I'm sure that'll that'll stay in the edit. Uh, <laughs> next week's episode will be hosted by. Uh, I think it's me. So yeah, we gonna be talking about the Legend of Zelda: Majora's Mask, Ooh. which I have not played all of, and will be subsequently. Not very knowledgeable, but the rest of the team will be super knowledgeable. So, as uh, Boy, does Chowder know Chowder about described Zelda? it, the CGP research as, team. <laughs> yeah, as as Chowder <laughs> described it, the game is Groundhog Day, except Bill Murray is trying to prevent the apocalypse, and everybody has depression. So, <laughs> yo, that's actually a great summary, though. <laughs> yeah, but why do we even need to do the episode now? Like, I mean. <laughs> Well, because so it's not a book report, it's a discussion. Yeah. <laughs> they have to have True. a discussion, Jeff. And uh, that topic was submitted by Riley Barnes, is that right? Yep. 
Hi, Riley. You couldn't fucking pick something easier for me there, bud? <laughs> Are you having You're a right. hard time You're playing right. it? How dare Riley assume I that at have least no three of the people on this podcast anymore. have played like, oh, Majora's that's a Mask? <laughs> you couldn't pick a game that I could still play? <laughs> <laughs> okay, next right, time well, we will... We will- uh, make available the platforms that we have yeah. access to. I guess. Now I'm just gonna watch people play it on YouTube or something. Yo. Alright. Word. Alright, well, tune in next Friday. No, next next Friday. Yeah, two Fridays from now. Groundhog Day. Yeah, on Groundhog Day. That's just 100% not true. Because Groundhog Day is already passed. Has yes, it? Yes, it has. When is Groundhog Day? February. It's yeah, yesterday we're, we're, and today. We're and all tomorrow, past February. February is a thing of the past. I'm just going to keep saying variations of that sentence to stall, so that I can open up the schedule and find out when that episode actually airs. Because all of my tabs closed when I restarted my computer because the internet crashed. And still loading. Work with me. Work with me. You're killing me, dude. I, I'm killing me. I'm dying <laughs> right now. I am God damn 45 it. minutes late to cook my chicken. <laughs> That episode will air on... It'll be a well-marinated chicken. The 10th <laughs> of May, which is two Fridays from today. Um, gosh, now I gotta get back to the other thing. Man, the internet well, you just know, fucks you just say me. hi, thanks, bye. Hi, thanks, bye. All right, so be sure Done. to tune in two Fridays from now on the 10th of May. And thank you for listening, subscribing, sharing everything, and we will talk to you. Nope, no, we won't. He just didn't change that. He said two weeks from today, but at this end of it still says we'll talk to you next week. All right. Well, well, we can still talk to him next week. We'll, we're just going to talk to you. We just won't record it. <laughs> <coughs> exactly. Y'all right. just, this is a tradition to just give Colin shit every time. And he makes stupid fucking guides. Yeah. Well, it, it's tradition for Colin to do things that make people want to give him shit for it. <laughs> okay. If Colin were just better at living, we wouldn't give wow. him so much shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. We were able to maintain quite a uh, a non anti Colin podcast till right there at the until end. We right had to now. throw it in. We had to throw it in there a little bit. He's okay. editing, so he can just edit in a, a, a small clip of him crying right before we go into the uh, credits of this show. <laughs> oh my God! All right. Goodbye. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs> this episode of the Common Geeking Program is hosted by Jeff Levitt. Joined by Patrick Brem and Jonavi Iyer. This episode is sponsored by My Tears and Sadness at the latest insult against my person and hard work hurled against me. I sound composed, but tears are streaming down my face. The podcast is created and produced by Colin Ketchin and Jeff Levitt, with this episode edited by me, Colin, featuring original music also by me. In two weeks, we should have two episodes for you, one about The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, and another of the Common Briefing Program recapping geek news for the month of April. April's a big month. Let's see how that goes. In the meantime, I wish you well, and thank you for listening to this. Speaking of that, I was at an ice cream place last night, and this dude behind me was, was just like, like missing all over the place. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> I want to get uh, peppermint ice cream, but it's going to give me heartburn. And I'm like, how the fuck does ice cream give you heartburn? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I feel I, bad for that I guy. Mean, what is what is heartburn like, actually? Maybe like, he what? feels like... Something like... to do with your acid.
in your stomach. Like, yeah, I would think that eating acidic foods would fuck with it more than eating ice cream would. Well, was it the ice cream or was it the no? Peppermint? Specifically, just the peppermint, and I was just like, I don't think there's like maybe I, mean, I would I there. wouldn't think of peppermint as being terribly acidic, but yeah. oh. Maybe it just Maybe fucks with the chemistry. If we have any doctors who listen to this podcast, please let us, let us know. Tell us why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could ask my friend Steven. He's he's in med school. Yeah, Steven, ask him right now. Steven Pow. Pow Pow. I'm gonna, yeah, Pow Pow. That's and what we also call learned him. that uh, the Facebook comment section is a breeding ground for stupidity. Oh. In that it hasn't some, has it not evolved since I mean, it was mostly just last night I was looking at it, and there was a math question, because there are always fucking math questions Mm -hmm. nowadays, and the equation was 5 minus 5 times 5 plus 5. Mm Mm-hmm. So normal people are like, all right, I multiply the fives together oh, and then they do the rest. Every fucking time someone posts one of those things, there's like a thousand fucking comments that are just like yeah. drastically incorrect numbers. Right. So in said comment section, as I knew in my brain that it was negative 15. What was the was thing like, again? What was the equation? Five minus five times five plus five. Five minus five times five plus five. Zero parentheses in the entire equation. So, so you do the multiplication first, right? Which is twenty-five. So Twenty-five so minus twenty-five plus five, negative fifteen. Yeah, correct. that sounds right. So many people in the comments are just like, "There are no parentheses in the equation, therefore you don't use PEMDAS." And I'm like, "What? That's not- <laughs> All right, that's not how that works." A, parentheses B, are, are no like fucking- circumventing the the, yeah. the rule, not yeah enforcing it. Like, yeah. Yeah. like, do they think that you can't use PEMDAS on any equation that doesn't have parentheses? They're gonna have a bad like time. Like, if there were just two division, parentheses, addition, not around any numbers, like just behind the yeah. equation, then be like, oh, exactly. that because the parentheses are there, you gotta multiply first. Here... Like, literally, I'll just add a zero in parentheses to the 14th power hey, minus what the billion, fuck do they like, think whatever. that the P in that stands for? It stands for parentheses. <laughs> I don't know, dude. <laughs> it stands... It makes no sense. Um... I don't know. Here at Common Geeking Program, we encourage you to stay in school and to apply <laughs> the math that you learned in middle school. The thing that kills Otherwise me is you're going to look dumb on Facebook. <laughs> they are the same motherfuckers who will complain about young people not knowing how to do basic shit. Like, do math. What kills me is that they peop- can't like, fucking do it. People feel the need to prove themselves by even answering this question in the first place on like a Facebook yeah. chat, and then they'll get it wrong. Like, you have the ac- you have access to the internet. You could double check yep. yourself. You could be like, "Oh, I think I figured it out, but maybe I should just check before I post and brag about how intelligent I am." But no, the gall, the gall of these people, the audacity. <laughs> that's I mean, funny because that's what you're using to record. Oh, I got uh, an answer. This is Stephen interesting- says mint causes the valve between your stomach and esophagus to be more spastic and let more stomach acid past it. Ergo, heartburn. That is the same case with after-dinner mints. They increase burping and also stomach acid passage into the esophagus. Overeating acts similarly, but by the increased pressure in the stomach. Neat. Interesting. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Steve. I'll tell him you say, I'll say, I'll just say Pat says thanks, and he'll be like, who's Pat? And then I won't answer him. <laughs> Patty ice cream thanks you. <laughs> yeah, he can't be he can't be Patty Peppermint Ice official <laughs> now because it's, no. it's going to risk him giving a heartburn. All right, well that that was quite the aside. I enjoyed it, but I think we should probably move on to the podcast. Probably. 
All right, summary time. Isn't there isn't there a read for the summary anymore? Is there, is there not a read for the summary anymore? All right, well, I don't see one. So I mean, you're the co-creator here. Let's. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't write the fucking script. <laughs>